This is my last message on Ezekiel, and um, I'm looking forward to that. Um, it wraps up chapters 37 through 48 in the book of Ezekiel, and it covers the prophetic vision of uh, Ezekiel of the restoration of, of Israel from the captivity. So Ezekiel's over there, the Israelites are over in captivity, and he starts prophesying after Jerusalem is destroyed, he starts prophesying that they're going to go back and they're going to be restored, and they had kind of given up hope. Because they, remember, they went over there thinking that they weren't going to stay very long. They were just going to go get to go right back. God would never destroy Jerusalem. And after they'd been there for a while, then Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem. And they just thought their life was over. Their national identity was over. They would never be back home in their own uh, place. They would never have the temple again and all of that. And so they had just lost hope. And so um, as much of prophetic literature does... Um, it prophesies things that are in the past, things that are happening now, and things that are way off in the future, um, and things that are still to come. Um, this prophecy uh, in Ezekiel, these last um, 11 chapters, uh, they deal with a laser light on the future of Israel instead of the church. And um, it, it concerns the Jews, and the nation of Israel, uh, rather than it does Christians. So now there are Christians today who believe um, that God has completely replaced his whole plan for the Jews with the church. That God is completely all done working with Jews and all of that. And I want to tell you um, that I do not believe that. I don't believe the scripture teaches that in any way, shape, or form. Um, that God has replaced um, the Jews with the church. Um, I believe that scripture is quite clear that God is faithful and that his faithfulness um, will never change in regard to the commitments and the covenants that he made to Abraham and David. Um, God is going to be faithful to them. That was part of the reason he sent them into captivity so that he could bring them back and restore them. But he's also going to do that in the future. Um, Ezekiel, along with uh, major and minor prophets, um, clearly envisioned the restoration of, of Israel. And then you go to the New Testament, and the Apostle Paul believed that the Jews were going to be restored, and he argues that for two chapters in Romans chapter 10 and Romans chapter 11. He, it's all about the nation of Israel being restored at the end times. Uh, Paul says that Christians... Um, are grafted into the tree of Israel. So he's not saying that the tree of Israel has been rooted out and killed and God planted us as Gentile Christians. No, he's saying we've been grafted on. So while it looks like Israel, God's not doing much there and not much is happening, that, that just means that God is is spending the bulk of his energies working among Gentile Christians today and, and drawing the Gentile world to him. But he's not done with Israel, and he's not done with the Jewish people. Now, so when, when you come and you start to say, you look at me and say, well, what practical value does this have to me? <laughs> then if you're talking to... Um, Israelites and to the future of Israel, why should we care? 
Well, first of all, there is things that we can learn from the way God is going to deal with Jews that teaches us some things about the way God deals with us. If God is faithful to the Jews after all the things he had, they had done and all their rebellion, the good news is that after all the stupidity, faults, and sins that I make, God's still faithful. And that's good news. That's just one example. So there's things that we can learn. Secondly, as New, to- New Testament Christians, we should be concerned with Jews, their past and their future history, as it covers all of the Old Testament, and it covers a lot in the New Testament um, regarding the end times. And you and I are closer to the end times than any people that have ever lived, of course. And so we ought to be concerned about that because those days are right around the corner. As we see prophecy fulfilled, one of the other joys of being a Christian today is that we get to see things materialize right in front of our eyes that Christians for centuries have not seen. They just had to take the word of God at face value and believe it. And you and I are actually seeing prophecy fulfilled right in front of our eyes. We have more reason to trust God's word than any people that have ever lived today. You have more reason to believe in God's word. That's how come there is such an attack on the scripture today. The devil does not want you in the word. He doesn't want you to believe it because there is more reason today to believe God's word than there has ever been. Scripture is just unfolding right before our eyes. Major prophecies coming true today. So let me give you an outline for this section of of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 7 talks about dead bones coming to life again. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 28 and 39 talks about the battle of Gog and Magog. Uh, Ezekiel 40 uh, through 46 talks about the new temple and the new kind of worship that Israel will have. And then Ezekiel 47 and 48 talks about the new land of Israel um, and God's glory um, in that. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to start by talking to you about um, Ezekiel 37. To introduce this passage where, where Ezekiel says to the Israelites, God is not just going to leave you over here and not do anything with you. He's not just going to let you die in captivity. He is going to restore you. He's going to bring you back to the land of Israel. And there's also coming a day, centuries later, when God is going to restore Israel completely. And uh, so he does that. He gives that, um, that introduction to them. And he talks about the restoration of Israel. But he does it through a number of visions. And the first vision is Ezekiel sees a valley of just dry bones, of thousands and thousands of of dry bones um, in Ezekiel chapter 37. They are bleached by the sun, they are unburied, and they're dry bones scattered in this valley. And uh, it represents Jews that have just been um, dead and hopeless um, in the valley which... Uh, If you go through the Old Testament scriptures, valleys represent battlefields. Almost every battle that was fought in in the Old Testament was a battlefield. Um, And so 
Um, valleys represent that. And so in this valley, there's all these dead bones. And, and Ezekiel, um, God asks Ezekiel if those bones can live again. <laughs> and Ezekiel says to God, well, I don't know. You're the only one that knows that. Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And so then God gives Ezekiel this vision and it is a vision of the restoration of life to these bones in five stages. And you see them up on the screen. First of all, Israel is scattered. And they're just all over the world. They've been scattered through um, by Nebuchadnezzar and all those, uh, the Assyrians and Babylonians. And then the regathering of Israel, the bones being connected, um, brought in and he sees that and then he sees flesh on bones which refers to muscle and tendons and all of that and he sees that and and you can kind of see um, about the about the first of the 1900s Jews from all over the world began heading back to Israel and so this is a twofold prophecy that related to right after the captivity way back there in 500 and um, 600 AD, 500 AD, or BC, and then also here in our century, uh, the last century, where is- Jews just started going back to Israel, and then in 1948, um, God says he puts flesh on their bones, they become a nation. And that was a miraculous event in 1948. And then skin on the body, um, where he, he gives the image of skin on the body. He talks about Israel during the tribulation. And then there's where breath comes in the body of Israel. So these dead bones go through five stages and all of a sudden they come back to life. And that is talking about Israel's conversion, which Paul also refers to uh, in the book of Romans, where after the tribulation, the Jewish nation as a whole realized that they've been deceived and they accept Christ as their Messiah. Um, but they, that breath comes as a result of knowing Christ. So we see a complete restoration of the land of Israel. Um, they, they go back to their land, they rebuild their kingdom, and the end result is that God lives in them. That's the breath of God coming in in conversion. Then you go to the second part of Ezekiel, and he has another vision. And he has a vision of two sticks joined together, becoming one. Now, you remember that Israel started off as one nation. Then, under Rehoboam, they split and they became the nation of Israel and Judah. And those two nations were separate till the day they were taken into captivity. And God says when he brings them back, he will take those two sticks and make them one. And he does that when he brings them from, back from captivity. But we also see that the nation of Israel today is just one nation. It's not divided. It's not Judah and Israel. It's one nation. And so you see that prophecy being fulfilled today. Um, God planned to bring them back as one nation um, under one king, as they had under King David. Um, and today, uh, the future will be when Jesus is that king uh, that they all serve. Now, the purpose of the dry bones being restored is so that Israel will know that he is the Lord and they will want to be filled with his spirit. That's the reason God brings those dead bones back to life because he wants Israel. He doesn't just want you and I to know him. 
He cares about all those Jews that are out there in the world, and he wants them to know him. The reason he brings the two sticks back together and, and makes Israel a great nation in the future and in our current history is so that the rest of the world comes to know that the God of Israel is the God of the universe. He wants the whole world to know that every knee and every tongue will confess the glory of God, that Jesus is Lord. And he does that among the pagan world. He's going to bring the Muslim nations, he's going to bring every nation on the face of the earth to bow and to recognize that the, the God of the Israelites is the God of the universe. And that's his purpose in restoring Israel as a nation. Now, in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, uh, these two chapters talk about the destruction of foreign nations gathered together um, against Israel. And so you have up here on the map, and you have, it talks about the battle of Gog and Magog. Gog is a person. He is, he is a, like the Antichrist. He's, he's the leader of, of the area of Russia and Kazakhstan um, and all of that area, Ukraine, that area up there. And so he's, he's the leader of that area. Um, and that's, that's what Magog is, that whole area up there. But Gog is also united and joined by a whole bunch of all, these, um, all of these nations right here um, are Muslim nations. And Russia, in the end times, joins together with all of these Muslim nations. And right here, in that tiny little spot, is the nation of Israel. Now, I just want you to just get that visual again. You have this whole huge area of Russia and all these Muslim nations, and right here is this little strip of Israel. <laughs> and God, those, the, all those nations join forces against that tiny little nation of Israel. And, and in the end, they are completely defeated. They, they come in and they wipe out, they try to come in through the valley of Israel uh, where a lot of the, uh, the Old Testament wars were won. And, um, and they, they come in there and God just wipes them out with an absolutely humongous earthquake. And it takes Israel seven months to bury the dead invaders who came in. And scripture foresees that and, and tells us about that and it's, but it's just absolutely amazing how you, you look at that whole map and you see the whole world is joined up against this little tiny nation and and when that happens and God wipes out all of those powers against that little tiny nation that is how God reveals to the world that he is the lord of the universe he is the great king uh, and the coming king of the universe. So, you know, Gog is joined by Persia, which is Iran and Sudan and Libya and Turkey and Saudi Arabia and all those Muslim nations. Israel at the time, they were at a time of peace. They thought they were safe. They thought they were secure. Um, and, and all of these nations kind of in one big surprise during a time of safety 
and world peace just descend on Israel. And that's when God wipes them out um, with earthquake, um, plague, bloodshed, um, rain, hail, and burning sulfur. Um, I'm assuming that's some nuclear activity, <laughs> um, that kind of thing. But God just wipes them out in all of that. But the end result is that God's glory and holiness is revealed. There is no longer any doubt after this battle that God is the God of the universe. And people will know that. Um, the application for us is this. God desires a holy people. And, and um, he, he wants the Israelites to be holy. He wants the Jews to be holy. But he also wants all these other people to know who he is. And God desires that for us also. He, there's coming a day when God is going to bring absolute and final victory to the nation of Israel. And God's going to cleanse his people. He's going to purify them, uh, both Gentile and Jew. And, and at this time, God really cleanses and purifies the Jews. And, and the Jews uh, come to conversion at that point. And then you go to Ezekiel chapter 40 through 46. And I told my wife that this has been kind of a frustrating week getting this message ready because I've kind of been pumped about it all the way through the series. And then I got to really preparing for it. And it was a lot harder than I <laughs> And not near as much fun as, as I'd hoped. And one of the things I discovered that Ezekiel chapter 40 through 46 are some of the most disputed and debated scriptures in all of the Old Testament. Um, I'm not quite sure why it should be so complicated, but anyway, <laughs> I'm going to try to simplify it anyway for you, and I might overdo it, but anyway. Um, the, these chapters do some things that are really interesting. For example, they give the measurements of the new temple, and they are just so extreme that nobody can imagine them. And for example, the temple courtyard is 47 my, square miles. So, you know, I've been to Israel. 47 square miles, that about wipes out the nation of Israel. I mean, it's not that, it's not that wide. I mean, that's, that's huge. And so, um, pretty, pretty amazing. So when you look at Ezekiel, one of the big questions is, is how do we interpret Ezekiel? Because uh, so, you've got these measurements that you know, and everything is measured, and all the way through those first three chapters, you know, how many cubits this is, and how many cubits that was, and it's kind of interesting, because if you go back in the Old Testament, um, to where the first temple was built, God gave David very specific measurements for how the temple was to be built, and all of those details that he passed on to Solomon, and all of that, and God gives that same kind of care in Ezekiel also in terms of all these measurements. But if you measure it all out, it's like 47 square miles um, in, in our measurements today. Well, that's ridiculous um, in, in terms of size. So the question is, is there some symbolic meaning there or do we take that literally? Um, the other issue is this that Ezekiel pictures for these six chapters all of the Old Testament sacrifices being put back into practice today, which, by the way, the Jews have a plan for. 
They, they, they have preparations and they have plans for when they get to rebuild their temple and the Muslims are out of there and all of that and they're planning for all the animal sacrifices and all of that again. But in the New Testament, it is very, very clear um, I don't, I, at least I don't see how you can misinterpret any of this. Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And he was referring to um, his body. And, and so he, he basically says, my body is the fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 37, or 40 through 46. I am the new temple. I am the new sanctuary. Um, you also find John in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 uh, says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. So we know in heaven, you know, Jesus is that temple. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 4 through 7 emphasizes the fact that Christ eliminates the need for all animal sacrifices. Um, he has replaced that and taken care of that. So you have these two issues, two major issues, and there's other ones, but there's two major issues, is what do we do with all these huge measurements in Ezekiel, and what do we do about the fact that Ezekiel says that they're going to have real live animal sacrifices again in Israel in the end times. I'm not sure that I uh, can tell you for certain on any of those kind of things, um, but it would seem to me the logical thing, along with numerous other texts in the Old Testament, that this is a, a, not to be something taken literally, but there's symbolic meaning here for us. And that 47 square miles is meant to emphasize that the temple is big enough to take all people in. That God is there and he's, he's wanting all people to come to him and there's no limit, especially compared to the size of little Israel. You have a temple courtyard that is that big. That God is wanting to draw all people to him and draw them uh, to salvation in him and helping them find um, their temple in him. But also in regard to the animal sacrifices, I just believe um, that it is, again, something that, you know, as, as Ezekiel was preaching to Jews in captivity, they had no understanding of anything else but what they had left in Jerusalem. And all they knew was the temple, and all they knew was the animal sacrifices. And so as he gives this prophecy, he's relating to them what they can understand. And so I, I think, you know, in terms of those animal sacrifices, I think, no, that will be met in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he was communicating to Jews who couldn't understand that, but they could understand animal sacrifices and all of that. So that's my best attempt at trying to um, explain what scholars and whole books have been written about. Um, <laughs> so when you go to Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 16, God speaks to the exiles who are there by the Kabar River and even though they are far away from the temple in Jerusalem that has now been destroyed, God says to them, I will be a sanctuary to them. So these, these Israelites, these Jews are over in captivity. They're way away from Jerusalem, way away from the temple. They, they've lost, you know, the temple represented the way they worshipped. It represented. It, it, represented their religion, their faith, everything for them. 
And God says through Ezekiel, I will be their sanctuary. I want to remind you that this building is just a building, just wood, sheetrock, carpet, cement. (laughs) And anything that you and I walk into is just a building. God wants to be a sanctuary for every single one of us. That's his heart. That's his desire. That was his heart from the beginning with with the Israelites. Remember, they wanted a building uh, sooner than they got one. And God said, what's wrong with the tabernacle? (laughs) You know, for a long time, they they used a tabernacle. And then God allowed Solomon to build the temple. and, And it got destroyed numerous times and rebuilt But God's main purpose in all of that is is saying to us, it's not about a building. It's not about having this or that or some place that we call our own. You and I need to find that God is our sanctuary and we need to have the kind of relationship with him that that meets our spiritual need. It's wonderful that we can get together. It's wonderful that we have a building. It's wonderful, and and our building, we ought to do our best we can so our building reflects the glory and the majesty of God. But the main thing God, his desire for us, is that we find in God himself a sanctuary and that we find his presence among us um, as the important thing. And then in terms of all the measurements... God was so specific. I mean, you just read through Ezekiel, and God, for three chapters, is giving so many cubits here and so many cubits there, and this has to be so many cubits and that and something else. They measured everything in cubits. We measure in inches and feet and yards and all of that kind of stuff, Um, but they measured in cubits. And, And, you know, a cubit is about 18 inches. We are to be people who are measured. Everything gets measured by something. We measure by inches, feet. The Israelites measured by cubits. And God is saying that if we are part of his sanctuary, we are going to be measured. And the measuring utensil for us is the word of God. You and I will never, you know, the way we need to measure our lives is check it against the word of God and say, do our lives measure up to this because this is the yardstick that we will be judged by. God was judging, you know, the creation of the temple and all of that by cubits. We, we you know, we pull out a recipe and we want to make sure the tablespoons and teaspoons and cups and all of that are just right for things to turn out right. God measures our lives according to the word of God, and that's how we measure our lives. I want to get to this last section of Ezekiel. Um, John's back there trying to figure out what on earth I'm doing today, because <laughs> I haven't followed it very well. Ezekiel chapter 47 and 48. Um, when we talk about the new land of of Israel um, and the new glory that's coming. Ezekiel has a vision of a river that flows from Jerusalem down through the valley and out to the sea. 
and he sees this great vision. Um, Ezekiel is led through the water, um, and, and he's, Ezekiel's led into this water that he has in this vision, and he goes in, and he walks, and it tells him how many cubits he went out. And, and so it's a really huge river because he walks like a thousand cubits out and he's only ankle deep. And then he walks another thousand cubits and he's up to his knees. And then he walks another thousand cubits and he's up to his waist. And then he walks another thousand cubits and he's up where he can just swim freely. And then it describes a river as being a river that no one can cross. It's absolutely huge. Again, those, those measurements come to bear um, in Ezekiel that cause uh, scholars, literal scholars, so much frustration. And it flows into the sea, and when that river gets to the sea, it, it is so much fresh water that all kinds of fish can live there that can't live in salt water. And so it makes the sea right there where it comes into the sea fresh water, and all of that. And, um, and so then he, he has him turn and he looks, and he looks along the banks of this river, and there are all these trees bearing fruit, and, and they have great leaves. And these leaves are for the health of the nations, it says. And it pictures the same thing that John pictures in Revelation. John says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the land down to the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. It's an amazing passage. And, and the, the point that God is wanting to make there is that this river comes from Jerusalem, it comes from God himself, and it flows out. And God is saying he is the source of our healing, and he's the source of our fruitfulness in our lives. And if we aren't connected to the source, if we aren't connected to God, you and I cannot expect ourselves to live healthy lives. And we cannot expect to be fruitful, have fruitful lives apart from, from him. So the question is, you have to decide how deep you're going to go into the water. Because a lot of us, we only, we get out there a thousand cubits and we're just, that's good enough for us. Just let me be ankle deep. And some are a little bit more daring and they'll get knee deep and other people waist deep. And some people never want to get to swimming in God's grace and mercy and salvation. And God is inviting every one of us to discover in him a sanctuary, the presence of God, and just to have a relationship with him. But he's, in, he's inviting us to go more than just ankle deep. He's inviting us to go all the way and to swim in the current of God. And then you get to this very last portion of of. Uh, chapter 47 and 48, and it describes the boundaries of the new Israel, um, which are very different from the boundaries of, of the original Israel. Um, in fact, they're a lot more like the boundaries of Israel today than they were um, before. Um, for, for, first of all, that boundary, you remember there were the two and a half tribes on the other side of the Jordan. Um, 
This does not account for that. Israel is one nation altogether, not divided by the Jordan River uh, in Ezekiel, and he prophesies that for the future. And so we'll have to wait and see with all the debates about boundaries and all of that. Uh, we'll, that's interesting to watch. Um, prophecy, again, being fulfilled out in our day. Um, so the land is on the one side of the Jordan River, and the other thing is instead of having a tribe here and a tribe here and here and there and, and all the way up, no, it's all this way. And Dan is up here at the very top, and then you come down, and the next tribe goes all the way across, and then the next tribe, and there's five tribes that come down all the way across, straight across, and then you have Jerusalem and Mount Zion and the Holy Center, and then you have the other seven tribes down to the bottom of the nation of Israel as Ezekiel chapter 48 portrays um, uh, um, that land of, of Israel in the end times. But the most significant thing, and the way Ezekiel ends his book, is this. In chapter 48, verse 35, he describes God in his Hebrew name, Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is present. He says, and the name of the city from that time on will be the Lord is there. The greatest thing in all of life, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, is to know that God is present and that you have found in him your sanctuary. Your sanctuary. 